Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 giving you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is the number one place to go to place any of your online wagers. Maybe get a little bit of that Bitcoin when you start winning. If you want to invest in some cryptocurrency, BetOnline will pay you out in Bitcoin. I know this for a fact. Uh, If you were on BetOnline and you'd been listening at all to me for UFC 257 and you played the same guys I played, you'd have walked away with a nice tidy profit. Dustin Poirier knocking out Conor McGregor, making me look like a genius. Uh, BetOnline.ag, not just home for MMA, but soccer, basketball, baseball, football, whatever sport. If there's a line, BetOnline's going to have it. From the super in-depth lines for experienced players and sharps to super easy beginner lines for those of you that are just trying it out, go to betonline.ag, sign up, use our promo code armchair, and you'll get a nice little surprise. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. you got to go, you got to sign up, you got to use the code to find out. BetOnline.ag, play, win, and have a great time. All right, Doc. It has been a while since we've recorded, uh, and there has been a lot of tragedy uh, in the Atlanta Braves family. So before we get too in-depth with anything to do with the 2021 baseball season, uh, I think we should do a little tribute here uh, for the three Titans uh, that have been lost for the Braves in in basically consecutive weeks to start off 2021. Not a great start for 2021, uh, but Phil Necro, Don Sutton, and Hank Aaron all passing on um, absolute legends. Uh, I, I said this on Locked On today, and I, I really am sad that I don't have the same stories uh, that I can talk about with Phil Necro that I can with Don Sutton and Hank Aaron. Uh, unfortunately, just before either of our times, really. Uh, but Nuxie 
probably the most famous knuckleballer maybe uh, of all time, probably the best knuckleballer of all time, guy that really revolutionized the knuckleball for sure. Um, just a, a titan in his own right. All three of those guys, absolute titans, um, for different reasons, obviously. But um, 2021 hitting hard, and, and you know this is kind of this is what happens eventually. Your heroes and your legends get up older, and Father Time being undefeated and all, but uh, kind of hard to lose all three at once. You know, and you're starting to see a lot of legends uh, from from when we were kids. Some of the guys, you know, not just not just specific to the Braves, but in the last year alone, you know, we lost Tommy Lasorda uh, this year as well, and and Bob Gibson, and 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 a lot of the names you just start to see, and it's like uh, heaven is building quite the expansion team up there, you know. And, and you're right about Phil Necro; he's he's obviously a legend, but of of the three, I have the least uh, kind of connection to him. With Don, you know, when I first moved moved to Georgia in 1992, it was that just elite level booth, you know. And th- and this is Don's Don's playing days. You know, his longevity and his consistency is is so incredibly admirable. But when he was playing, I never really got to watch him pitch. But so when I moved to Georgia in 1992, and it was Skip Carey, Pete Van Weer, and Don Sutton and Joe Simpson, and every night, you know. Two of them would pair up and do four and a half innings together on the radio, and then they would switch with the other two guys and go do the rest of the game in the TV booth. So whether you were watching the game or listening to the game, you would get all four guys, and Don was just so friendly. It was almost like like any good broadcaster. It just kind of felt like you knew him after a certain period of time, and and he kind of progressed from being just really super sharp and to being like a, a lovable grandpa type, you know, and then in 2017, 2018, you could really kind of hear the strain in his voice and you could really kind of tell that um, he was getting to the point where you would have to consider how much longer he would be doing games. And I think the last game that he called on the radio was uh, in 2018, the end of the NLDS against the Dodgers. And so getting the news about him was, you know, it was like losing a family member. And with Hank, I, man, there was, there was like an hour period where as soon as I got the news, I couldn't even move. I couldn't do anything. I was so grossly unprepared for any of it. I just sat there completely stunned and had to take a while to process my thoughts. I mean, Nothing will ever prepare you for losing somebody like Hank Aaron because there is nobody like Hank Aaron. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, Hank is Hank. I mean, you can literally just say Hank and, and people know who you're talking about. That's the level of, of just legend. And it's, it's really transcendent. It's not just what he did for baseball. I mean, it's every, it's across all sports. It's it's not even just the sports world in general. I mean, Hank is, is one of those, those guys that really kind of transcended everything. And, and when you talk about what he accomplished and it's really his his incredible career is almost secondary to everything else that he was able to accomplish i mean breaking that color barrier for the home run record notwithstanding all the things that he had to deal with and the inspiration that he was for an entire generation of players and and, and just athletes in general and, and children in general just you can't really adequately put into words what hank aaron was and I honestly believe a lot of the a lot of or for a good a good number of the people that refuse to recognize Barry Bonds as the home run king is not 
because of the steroids. We've seen dirty records before. It's, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with because it's Hank's record. And Hank was just such a, a, a tremendous person that you wanted Hank to have that record forever. You didn't want somebody like Barry to take the record from Hank. And, and I, think, I think that's still today. I think that's a lot of the reason why Barry is not really recognized as the home run king. I, I think that's true. I mean, I honestly, I've, I almost feel guilty referring to him as Hank and not Henry sometimes because it's too colloquial. Like, I feel almost like if, if the king's name is Robert, you don't just go around calling him Bob. You know what I mean? Like, only it's like only the people in his that special inner, inner circle could really call him Hank. But I mean, you hear stories about a couple years ago, the last last season at Turner Field, when they had the numbers out on the wall, they were uh, counting down game by game for the amount of uh, home games remaining. And Hank came out to tear down the 44 and walk through the Mets bullpen. And just seeing all of the, the Mets pitchers just lighting up, like these are professionals. These are major leaguers. These guys have met so many of their heroes. And as soon as they see Hank Aaron, they're just lining up like, oh my God, that is, that is legit royalty right there. I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of of players. I mean, and and statistically everybody knows 755. Like you said, the name Hank, you just say it and everybody knows exactly who you're talking about. You say 755 and everybody knows the number too. I mean, that's that's even even more vague than than the name is in theory, but I mean, you say the number and everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. We've all seen the video of him hitting the 715th home run and the call by Vin Scully and the guy with the giant net trying to catch it in the outfield, you know? I mean, it's... to And when you're looking at the stats, it goes... Any, anybody can go look at stats, but I, I feel obligated to point out, you know, everybody knows that he was, he's the the home run king, depending on how you feel about Barry, but he's also third all time in hits. And he had 3,771 hits in his career. So even if you take away all of the home runs, he's had 3000 hits and that's such a vaunted number. Like you take away the home runs and he still had more hits than Wade Boggs, Al Kaline, Roberto Clemente, Frank Robinson, Barry Bonds, Rogers Hornsby, Mel Ott, Miguel Cabrera, Brooks Robinson, George Sizzler, Ken Griffey Jr., Andre Dawson, Chipper Jones, Carlos Beltran, Roberto Alomar, Lou Gehrig, Gary Sheffield, Ted Williams, Jimmy Fox, Reggie Jackson, and Ernie Banks. And that's just to name guys in the top 90. I mean, there are absolute elite players that Hank just was, I mean, he was the greatest. You know, you look at total bases, you look at runs batted in. I mean, it wasn't just home runs that he held these records in. It's Unbelievable. Not just that, not not even just that too. I mean, you're talking about he also did that while never hitting 50 homers in a season, ever. Yeah, and nobody That's talks just, about his defense either. Won five Gold Gloves. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, just how good of a player he was. And when you put him on the Mount Rushmore, you're absolutely right. I don't know if I've got him third or fourth, uh, but he, he's he's right there with the greatest players of all time. And really, any baseball's a little bit different. I don't know that there's one definitive player that you can say is the greatest of all time depending on how you feel about steroids depends on whether you're going to put Barry Bonds at one Um, depending on how Mike Trout's career continues to progress he can certainly get to that point too but that's the crazy part right there is we've seen just how amazing Mike Trout is and he's the closest thing to Hank we've had since Hank understand that Mike Trout would have to be on this same pace 
for another 12 or 13 consecutive seasons to get there. And it's also worth noting that Hank was doing this during the dead ball era. You know, they, they, in, you look at the numbers from 1968, guys like Bob Gibson were just dominating baseball. They were shutting everybody down and he just didn't, didn't matter. He still, he could hit anybody at any time. I mean, that's, that's one of the things, like, I think that's a fun thing that we can do for one of our shows in the future is to do our Mount Rushmore. I mean, everybody's going to have Ted Williams. I think everybody's going to have Hank. Everybody's going to probably have Babe Ruth. Who's going to be that fourth member? It's a very, very good question. We'll, we'll shelve that for another episode, but um, just uh, just real, it's a big loss across just, just Hank, everybody talks about Hall of Fame player, but it's one of the things that I always listen for and that kind of tells you your real mark is, is how everybody refers to you after they refer to your professional accomplishments. And with Hank, it's always been the same thing that's always been said by anyone that's come in contact with him. Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame person, or Hall of Fame player, better person. And to me, that, that's, the real, that's the real story. It's not, it's not how good he was at the sport. There have been a ton of players that have been amazing at the sport, but have been horrible people. Mickey Mantle comes to mind in particular. Uh, absolutely amazing player, pretty awful person. Not one person has ever had a bad thing to say about Hank. Uh, just, just an absolute joy for everybody that was around him. And you can listen to the tributes and you can tell just how much he was beloved by everybody. And I think that that's, that's probably the best tribute you can give to somebody is the mark that they were able to make, not on the sport, but, but outside of it, what they were able to impart on people's lives. Uh, and, and for, for Hank and for Don and for Phil, uh, just, just absolute incredible achievements on and off the field in their in their lives and uh will will be sorely sorely missed this season and for for the future i mean uh for for those of you like me who didn't really get to know any of them but listening to don for 20 years i mean it's not going to be the same it's not the same hearing radio voices just like for most of you that grew up on on skip and pete it's not the same when you don't hear skip and pete on the radio uh it's not going to be the same when you don't hear don sutton anymore so uh, really really going to miss all three of them um but but just very very incredible lives and careers for those three. Uh, we do have to move on. We can't spend all of our time talking about them, unfortunately. Uh, so getting into switching from uh, a kind of a sad but celebratory topic uh, into a topic that I don't think anybody wants to celebrate right now, and that is the Hall of Fame for Major League Baseball. And the Hall of Fame for me is such a weird thing because I don't know that any Hall of Fame infuriates me as much as baseball's hall of fame but i also don't think there's any hall of fame in professional sports that has the same meaning as baseball's hall of fame and i think that's probably why it infuriates me so much we're really getting to a questionable time for for the hall of fame right now with with the steroid era um you know you've seen it a lot in in some of the some of the guys like bonds clemens are, are obviously some of the, some of the bigger names uh, they've been dominating the ballot for the past 10 years and not even so much for for the votes but just for the storyline surrounding them uh you know mcguire and palmero and and some of the guys that were and sammy sosa and some of the guys that were implicated really big time in the the steroid era and every year you start to get a little bit more of those guys peppered in so it's raising a lot of ethical questions and you start getting into the character clause and kind of what it means and it and i certainly understand you know i obviously don't have a hall of fame vote but I have to imagine that it would be really hard to separate 
a player separate the accomplishment from the actual person, especially for the people that are that are voting for them, because the writers that are voting for them, in a lot of cases, they spent years one on one with these players. They're they're trying to get stories, they're trying to communicate with them, and you really kind of get to know who somebody is off the field. They're, you could have guys that are that are heroes to some people that are just absolute nightmares to talk to or or to work with, you know? So when it comes time to vote for the Hall of Fame, it would be really hard to separate, you know, Barry Bonds from his off-field stuff. And and it's it's a kind of murky when you get into the steroid guys because it's it's off-field, but it's also on-field too. Um, some guys that have domestic abuse cases, like Omar Vizquel or Andrew Jones. Um, some guys like... Kurt Schilling, who has got his his own set of off-field stuff. Um, you know, the character clause is a really, really interesting thing. But in my opinion, at least, what happened off the field shouldn't matter at all. You should be getting into the Hall of Fame on your baseball merits. But it's so tricky to actually do that. I, d- I don't know if I would be able to actually effectively do that if I were given a vote. I'd think that the character clause, one, it should be defined. It shouldn't be this ambiguous term of... of- because what, what is demeaning for one person's character in one person's mind is not the same for another person's mind. I think that that should be something that is laid out uh, by the Hall of Fame committee, and I think that that should be something that's applied before they ever make it to the ballot. As in, if somebody fails the character clause, I don't think they should be on the ballot, period. Because I don't think the individual writers should be given that power. Because there is uh, a ton of pettiness in, in the media, as we've seen by people that like to parade around the fact that they didn't vote for a single person. Personally, I think like if you get a ballot and you and you turn it back in and you submit it with nobody on it, you shouldn't get a ballot again. Uh, you should, if you don't want to vote for anybody in that ballot, you should refuse a ballot. That way, you're not affecting the percentages that much. Uh, I think that too many people want to have a big ego trip or be noticed, which is why you'll see people that'll do something like only vote for Jeff Kent. Uh, or only vote for Derek Jeter, despite there being numerous people that were worthy of being voted on. Um, I, I can't stand writers that do that. That's people trying to make themselves bigger by being controversial. It's essentially the Skip Bayless method for anything. And as with Skip Bayless, I hate it, and I wish that they weren't given a platform at all. I don't really like writers being the ones to decide who goes into the Hall of Fame anyway, because as we've known for 20, 30 years, writers happen to be heavily influenced by their biases and bias is the antithesis to a correct hall of fame. And when you're talking about baseball's hall of fame, which is really the last hall of fame that really means anything. Nobody, everybody gets into the basketball hall of fame, football hall of fame. There's players that really weren't even like top 10 players during their time period that are in the hall of fame. Baseball's hall of fame is the last hall of fame that still feels at least kind of sacred. And we're really quickly losing that feeling as well. Do you think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens get in? Next next year is going to be really, really interesting for a lot of different reasons. First of which being that is the last year for Bonds and Clemens and Schilling if, if, the, if they vote to keep him on the ballot because he has requested to not be on the ballot anymore. No, I don't. I think uh, if they get in, it's going to have to be Veterans Committee. You know, I don't know. You see kind of a, a surge for guys in, in the last year. You know, it was, I'll tell you I think why. Tim I'll Raines, tell- you know, it, Raines wasn't dirty, but he also, he had a lot of momentum and it was, everybody's like, all right, this is, this I'll- is the last chance to get him in. 
I'll tell you why I think I feel it's different. Uh, and I feel it's different because I feel the times are different right now in 2021. Um, people have this real hard on for how they're perceived and, and, uh, they have a real addiction to a feeling of moral superiority. Uh, and I think that is very much going to cloud this issue where, um, in previous years, I think I think if Bonds and Clemens were going to get on the ballot, it would have had to have been probably two or three years ago. Uh, I think right now, people are going to want to take a moral high ground stance on every issue, and whether you agree with that or not is immaterial. I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen. Uh, I don't think that they are. I don't think that the individual is going to want to cede that that feeling of power, uh, and I don't feel that Bonds or Clemens or really any of the major steroid players. Uh, aside from one other person who will be on the ballot for their first time next year, will get in. Now that is the real question is I don't believe bonds and Clemens get in. A rod is not getting in on his first ballot if he gets in at all, but what do they do about David Ortiz? Because if David Ortiz gets in on the first ballot and Barry bonds and Roger Clemens fall off the ballot thing, the hall of fame will burn. It's interesting, you know, cause Ortiz had a he had a positive test, but it was in 2003 before before they had uh, fully implemented the uh, the league wide testing standards. He, he was impl- also, by the way, we should mention any Barry Bonds failed test was before 2004 as well. Right. So you know, it's tricky. It's 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 really tricky. I mean i I think I would vote. I would vote for Ortiz, but then again, I'd vote for Bonds. So, so. Here's, here's the bigger thing. Rob Manfred has tried to go on record and cover for David Ortiz and try to throw into doubt the legitimacy of his failed test. He has not done that for any other steroid user, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it's because A-Rod, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens are three of the most hated baseball players for their personalities. And David Ortiz is one of the most beloved baseball figures. Now, I sent you, uh, I sent you a link earlier today when we when we were first talking about putting this on the show sheet that shows Ortiz's numbers from 2003 and after, basically after his Minnesota time where he was a pedestrian player for six years, uh, and what happened when he got to Boston. Now, I'm not going to say for sure. Um, but when you take that and you take into consideration his failed test or quote unquote, supposedly failed test, uh, and then you use the numbers right there, there is a huge, and I mean, historically huge discrepancy in his numbers. In fact, the only other people with a discrepancy in their numbers as large as David Ortiz's are other steroid users who were caught. So when we talk about things like uh, how can you tell a person was on steroids even if they didn't really fail? This is one of the ways that you do it. You take a look at patterns. And uh, I don't know if you opened that link yet. If you haven't, just open it up and take a look at the graphs. And uh, we'll, we'll post it on, on the TPS page later tonight as well. Uh, and then ask yourself if you think that uh, 2003 was the only time Big Poppy was using. I will say this. If if I'm not mistaken, when he was playing with the Twins, it was when they were still in the in the Metrodome, and they had the basically the um, not the Green Monster, but the 
we'll call it the purple monster because it was up in Minnesota, equivalent in right field. And then he went to Fenway where it's got the very short wall and it's, you know, you, you've seen Fenway. It's got the very short wall and right and it's it's not uh, not tall and also not far from home plate. So he being a left-handed hitter, it was probably playing to his advantage a little bit more. But spikes like that where he was going from hitting like nine... May, I think his career high in home runs w- was 20 with the Twins, and then within two years, he was hitting like 31, 54. I mean, he would, he wound up hitting 483 home runs with the Red Sox. So it does certainly look suspicious. I don't think that it's something as simple as he just had a shorter wall to hit him over. I don't think that hurt things. But in that era, I mean, pretty much everybody was doing it. I've, I've said before, there are like six players that I can think of off the top of my head that weren't taking steroids. You Let know, me just if, say this. You know? for, for his entire tenure with the Twins, uh, he never went above 1.1 F4. Uh, he has 51 total F4. Now, this is his seasons with the Twins. You tell me if you think that something is different. 0.2, this is his F4. 0.2, 0.4, negative 0.5, 0.7, 0.3, and 1.1. Immediately upon joining the Red Sox, 3.2, 4.2, 5.3, 5.3, 6.3, His low water mark at 0.3, uh, 2.6, 3.7, 3.1, 3.4, 2.2, 2.9, and then four and a half in his final season. When he was with the Twins, was he playing DH yet? Because I know that was a big thing about when he went to Boston, was that he was pretty much a full-time DH. Uh, he was kind of splitting time. So in 98, he played 86 games, had about 325 plate appearances. 2000, he played in 130 games. 2001, 89. And 2002, he had 125 games. So he was a part-time player for pretty much all of his time. 97 and 99, only had 10 games. Uh, or 10 games and 15 games in 97, 10 and 99. Um, but basically, he was a part-time player because he's awful defender and he always has been. And he wasn't a good enough hitter to be their full-time DH. Uh, didn't really become a full-time DH until his time in uh, Boston, where his first year in Boston, by the way, his 31 homers, uh, that was in 128 games. Yeah, the power numbers spiking and the fact that he got to get off the field is certainly going to pour into the F4. But, I mean, there's no doubting the power numbers. Certainly when he got out of Minnesota, certainly started to go up, 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 up. So there is the failed test, which there's a little bit of controversy as to what he tested positive for. To hear him tell the story, he doesn't know what he tested positive for, and nobody, quote-unquote, ever, uh, ever told right, him. I'll tell you right now, that's a lie. Because when you fail a test, and I know this because I have been drug tested before, as have all, everybody else, and if anybody has ever taken a drug test or failed a drug test, I'm not going to ask if you have or not, um, you get a letter, and it tells you what you tested for. Because they have to tell you what you tested positive for. To hear Big Poppy tell the story, nobody ever told him. So, And, and I think that that kind of jives with what this whole thing with Manfred with the controversy about the the passing test and and this just goes back to what I was talking about before we are there's the ethical dilemmas for the people that are voting for the Hall of Fame with A-Rod it's cut and dried he cheated he got busted and then he cheated and got busted again 
there's a, there's a great and he's a dick and there's a great documentary on netflix called screwball that uh that my buddy jason recommended to me thank you jason uh that gets into uh tony bosch and uh biogenesis and how it ties in with a rod i definitely recommend that to to everybody um and it's different for poppy and, you, and you're right like Bonds hated. A Rod hated. Big Poppy is loved. Would it surprise me if he gets in first ballot? Overwhelmingly so, not even a little bit. Which is tricky. And if it happens, if it happens, then it's going to ruin the sanctity of the Hall of Fame because it will show that how people view you, your people liking you, their personal opinion of you, clouds an issue that shouldn't be clouded by personal issues. But that's enough of that. We've gone almost thirty minutes talking about this. We haven't even really mentioned the Braves. So we're gonna go ahead and get into what you guys are all waiting for and jonesing for at this point, which is some Braves rumors and why you guys should be calming down a little bit. But first, just a nice little callback to our friends at Bet Online. Hey, they pay us to do it, so we're gonna say it again. Betonline.ag if you want to have a little bit of fun you got a little bit of disposable income to play with a little bit. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you're starting to uh, get ready for taxes. Maybe you still got a little bit of stimulus money left over and you want to have a little bit of fun. Go to Bet Online, Use our promo code ARMCHAIR and join the online betting craze. Earn yourself some Bitcoin while you're at it. Um, Doc, this is something that you and I talked about yesterday. Um, we're going to talk about these rumors, but before we get too deep into them, I think you and I would do best to be very honest with the listeners right now. Uh, and that is to tell all of you guys how we are feeling about these rumors. And right now, um, there is nothing that annoys me more than this Braves rumor mill over the past like week and a half. Where, for whatever reason, I, it's got to just be boredom. Everybody and their brother is searching out these random people that have never had any ties to anything, or people like Dan Clark who have made a career off of saying. 45,000 rumors hitting one of those 45,000 and instantly being thought of as, oh, well, he was right about this. If you say enough ideas and one of them happens, that doesn't mean that you nailed it. It just means that you happened to guess right one out of 40 times. That kind of feels like what's happening on Braves Twitter, and frankly, it is annoying the piss out of me. I mean, it just... You gotta take everything with a grain of salt anyway. And people, people have been begging for any type of information this offseason. The the last, I can't remember whether, I think Morton was the last one. I think Smiley was first, then it was Morton. And they brought back Josh Tomlin somewhere in there, but that's not exactly news. And it's been months, and there has been this, this need for rumors. And then as soon as rumors start leaking, and it's not just from Ed Beans, it's not just from some teenager who's pretending to be somebody who knows something like, I mean, Morosi was talking, John Morosi was talking about the JT Romuto thing. That is probably credible. But then as soon as something comes out, it's like, Oh, that's not real. There's no way that's real. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos would never allow a rumor to get out. First off, he runs a tight ship. Yes, he does. We all know that, but he does not run an airtight ship. Okay. Sometimes stuff gets out. And not everything is coming from agents to drive the price up. Some of what we are hearing is actually real. And more than anything, I'm just looking at it going, Alex Anthopoulos, no, he's not a perfect GM, but he's smart enough to do his due diligence on some of these guys. It would be smart of him to say, if we were to sign JT Romuto, because he's had interest in him in the past, maybe you install him at catcher, and then you look into trading trading trading. Travis Darno, because 
You look at Travis Darno's stat sheet. He's not going to repeat. He's not going to repeat his 144 WRC plus. That's no, not happening. No, he had a great year, and I think that he's going to have another good year. But he's not going to have the same type of year. And I think that Alex might know that and say, "Well, maybe we can get somebody who who thinks that he might be apt to repeat that and use that to upgrade somewhere else." You never know. And I'm just looking at it, going, "Okay." Maybe maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. But I've wanted some type of rumor for the past two months, and it comes from like an actual national guy, not just Ed Beans. Sorry, Ed. But and people are just so quick to to shut it down. So do you want rumors or not? Here's my problem with the with the Real Muto thing, and here's my problem with the national guys in general. Um, not that the Real Muto thing matters, because right. he signed with Philly anyway. Right, but my, my overall problem with that is, um, first of all, I will disagree. I don't think that you're getting sources from the Brave side of things because I know for a fact Alex had about four people that he tells his plans to. Because this is just how Alex operates. This is, this is one of the things that he learned from Andrew Friedman when he was with the Dodgers. This is just one of the things that he does. He does not let stuff go from his side. Now, that doesn't mean that another team is not privy to what Alex is asking for or talking about and that you're not getting a source from that side. Now that Perry and Alex Tamman are both in LA, two of the guys that would have known presumably what Alex was planning to do, that's two other sources that are gone. Now, we've never seen Perry as a GM before. So if the Angels and if the Braves are in on the same target, presumably Perry knows how Alex thinks. So could there be a, a quote-unquote leak from somebody who previously worked with Alex? Sure. Could there be a leak from somebody who is a, an opposing GM? Absolutely. In fact, probably. But if you hear national guys talking about sources, plural, within the Braves organization, they are wrong. They're, they're either wrong or their sources are not as high up as they're wanting to say. Right now, because I would bet you Dana Brown is probably the only person left, maybe Mike Fast, that knows anything about what Alex plans to do with the offseason. I would bet you Alex, being as paranoid as he is, only tells part of the story to every one person. And if you had all five of them together, maybe you get the actual story. It's like putting the power rings together. Um, but that, that's just kind of the way that operates. Now, the JT Real Muto thing, it makes sense because Alex tried to get Real Muto at the deadline a couple years back. Now, that was a deal that... Uh, was quote-unquote reportedly uh, centered around Austin Riley and Mike Soroka before Soroka failed his physical for his shoulder. Um, obviously, that's a ton of interest to have in Real Muto because Real Muto is the best catcher in baseball. And anytime you can add the best player in baseball or at his position, you do it. Um, now, none of that mentioned what the offer was, what the interest level was. So it could have been the exact same interest level that we had in Bryce Harper when Alex offered a three-year, $90 million contract. That's not a contract you ever expected him to take. That's just doing your due diligence and seeing a player that's taking a while to sign, that's not getting the market that he thought he was going to get. And Alex, and hey, I'm not going that high, but if you want something short to reset your value and try this again, I'll give you a high AAV and you can try this again. That's not... That's not the same as saying that he's dead set on a guy or that he's making a hard push for somebody. Like, if the Braves didn't offer George Springer a five-year deal, they really weren't in on him at the end. If they offered him the same type of AAV or even a couple million more than Toronto but were only willing to go two or three years, they weren't in on it until the end. They were a fallback option. 
There's a clear difference there, and that's part of my issue with this too, is people are just seeing names, and they're instantly assuming that it's always the same interest. Either we were all the way in on it, and he just wouldn't offer the years, or man, he just got outbid again. Like There are so many variables involved in all of these that you can't just assume that they're all the same story. And by the way, even if that player is never going, you don't think that that player would ever accept that type of deal, you would still be remiss in your job as a GM not to offer something palatable for you and just see if something happens. The worst that can happen is that guy tells you no. And not, that, not to mention, quite frankly, that's it. The Blue Jays just gave $150 million to a guy that's 31 years old. 100 plus million dollar contracts for players in their 30s, they don't tend to end well. You know what I mean? And Anthopolis is very conservative, maybe too conservative to a point, but he's also not an idiot. And I don't think that he is is dumb to the fact that some of those deals, you, know, you look at Albert Pujols, you know, you look at look at the A-Rod deal. Yeah, he performed when he wasn't suspended, when he wasn't... Look at be- the Troy Tulowitzki deal that he made when he was in Toronto. You know, there are a lot of really bad contracts like that out there. And yeah, it would have been great if the Braves would have signed George Springer. And they probably, could they have afforded it? Sure. Does that mean it's a smart move? No. You got $10,000 in your pocket. You don't have to spend it all at once. Not to mention, this offseason, look, I know everybody's frustrated. And spring training starts two and a half weeks. You know, we're not that far out. But you look at the some of the big free agents, they're only now starting to come off the board. Marcelo Zuna's still out there. Look, I know there's 15 teams that that don't know whether or not they're going to have the DH, but there's 15 teams that do know they're going to have it, and none of them have signed them either. You know, this is just a weird offseason. Nelson so, Cruz is still out there. Yeah. So, and maybe there's going to be a DH, maybe there's not, but i I kind of get why there's, I mean, it's not like the Braves haven't done anything this offseason. It's just been several months, so it seems like there's nothing. And to kind of route this back into the, into the rumors that are out there, look, one of the rumors that was out there this week was about Jose Ramirez. This is the one I want to talk about. Yeah, and look, you bet your ass that Alex Anthopoulos has talked to Cleveland about Jose Ramirez. Okay, absolutely he has. It is his job as a GM. He also knows that Jose Ramirez is a perennial MVP candidate who is slated to make $35 million over the next three years. He knows the cost is going to be astronomical. So people can bang on Alex all they want for him being too conservative, but as soon as you see that package, you are going to wish that he had been conservative because if you are holding on, like the amount of talent that is going to have to go to Cleveland to get Ramirez in here is tremendous. And if you can't get that deal done without sending Austin Riley to Cleveland, then you just create another hole in your lineup. So careful what you wish for. Let me tell you this. Uh, If you're somebody who's banking on the Jose Ramirez deal, I do not see any possible way that the Braves end up with Jose Ramirez for a number of reasons. One, the two philosophies in those organizations are very different the players that each type of organization covets in their prospects is radically different. The, the Braves and the Indians, and I've mentioned this with my locked-on host uh, for the Indians. We've talked about this at length a lot. They do not match up. Cleveland does not target or prioritize the same types of players that the Braves do. Cleveland does not need pitching prospects, and if they did, 
the only pitching prospect that the Braves have, or one of the few that the Braves have, aside from Ian Anderson, who everybody would want, that really fits their type of MO is Kyle Wright. They We have totally different types of pitchers that we go after. They don't need pitching, which is what the Braves have in abundance. The They have tons, just bukus of young pitching. Aside from that, Austin Riley is about as anti-Cleveland as you could possibly have. So his value to Cleveland would be lower than it probably would be to just about anybody else. Not to mention, even if they did like the type of player Austin Riley was, they already have it in Nolan Jones. Almost the exact same type of player, in fact, except Nolan walks a heck of a lot more. They already have that type of guy at double A. And they already have Jose Ramirez at third base. So why would they want Austin Riley? They need outfielders, sure. But the Braves have one one real prospect that they could offer that would be somebody that they need to be interested and that would be Drew Waters. Now, they could also offer Christian Pache, but if they do that, you're creating a gigantic hole in your team because now Andrew's got to play center field or you got to go out and try to find another center fielder on the block that you can then trade other prospects to get to for that. I will not buy a Jose Ramirez rumor until he's actually a brave because the two teams just, they don't match up. We are not good fits for each other. We do not have the types of players that either team really looks for. And when you're trying to deal prospects for an elite player like Jose Ramirez, another team could easily outbid what Atlanta could put on the table. Because just for starters, the most probably the most valuable piece that Atlanta could send to Cleveland would be Shea Langoliers. That's the only prospect that we have prospect-wise that is a perfect match for Cleveland. And you'd absolutely have to send him. Now, you're talking about you'd have to send Waters, you would have to send Langoliers, you'd probably have to send Contreras, too, because they also need some hitters. And then you'd have to add pitching, probably a Kyle Wright, and then maybe something else on top of that, because you're talking about a guy that took MVP votes away from Mike Trout for consecutive seasons, who's one of the best third basemen in baseball, who's one of these guys that's an outstanding defender, is not paid anything, roughly 11 to $11.5 million a season. This is not a good matchup. And then you'd have to hope that no other team came in, like like the Yankees, if they really wanted to, uh, didn't just swoop in and say, hey, we'll give you Davey Garcia, we'll give you, uh, I don't know, we'll give you Luis Medina, we'll give you Glaber Torres. Like, they, the, Indian, or the Yankees could beat any offer that the Braves wanted to make. That's the issue with Jose Ramirez. The type of third baseman you're looking at, like, like, let's say Matt Chapman. By the way, any rumors on Matt Chapman, take those with a grain of salt, too. Uh, I do think Oakland will trade him. Uh, but I don't think teams are going to be making big pushes for him until they see how he responds from a hip injury. A hip injury for a third baseman, we saw what happened with Eric Chavez. Hip injuries are not a good thing for a baseball player to have. Uh, people are going to want to see how Chapman returns to form, if he returns to full form. Uh, that one is a little bit more likely in my mind than Jose Ramirez, but not much more likely because we match up better with what Oakland likes. I just don't see Alex... I, to be quite honest, here's here's where the real thing comes in, and here's where we have to be really honest. The Braves' farm system is not what it was two, three years ago. They are not a top-five farm system anymore. They certainly don't have the depth anymore. You can say the international sanctions hurt that, and they played a big part of that. The other thing that played a big part of that is the drafting strategy of Alex Anthopoulos. His drafting strategy has been in the early rounds, generally where you'd get your guys that would quickly get into top 100s and things like that, guys that would be coveted by other teams. Alex tends to go with high floor. So the guys that he drafts are inherently more valuable to the Braves than they would be to somebody else. And this is one of the things that we talk about when people keep throwing around Tucker Davidson in the mix here or Kyle Muller or, or pick a name, Bryce Wilson. 
These are guys that have more value for the Braves than they would outside of the organization. These are guys who have gotten significantly better with their time in the org. And unless teams are sending out guys to look at these guys all the time, they're going to fall under the wayside. They're not the quote-unquote name prospects like Ian Anderson was. It's, it's viewed differently. So you have to take that into consideration whenever you talk about these mega type of deals. When you're sending that type of trade package somewhere, I mean, look, Jose Ramirez is amazing, okay? And Cleveland, it would absolutely be right to ask for everything that they could ask for. But you, for as much as people still, God, what is it, 14 years later since the Mark Teixeira deal? For as mad as people still are about that because of the value that went to Texas to get him, I mean, you're looking at a at a another situation possibly like that. Maybe not. You know, maybe none of those guys turn into anything if they if they go that direction. But you've got to be really careful about about the guys that you send and trade. And when you you start assessing value, we had a conversation a couple years ago about what would it take to get Mike Trout on the Braves, and I said no matter what it is. I don't want to send it out to L.A., <laughs> you know, because you start looking at value. Yeah, Trout's amazing, and I'd love to watch him every night, but... What's your point of diminishing returns? Well, yeah, I mean, you're you're going to, over the course of the rest of his deal, he's going to generate X amount of value, but that's just one guy, as opposed to, like, six guys, seven guys going out to L.A. that are going to be able to combine value and just give you so much more over the course of a deal like that. So, especially when you're looking at guys that are as close to the major leagues as a lot of the guys that would go to Cleveland in that deal. And like I said, there's, there's no guarantee. And you look at the, the, you Darvish deal and you look at the Blake Snell deal and you know, even the, even the Lindor deal. I mean, there, there are good players going back and forth. I know that Luis Patino who, who went to Tampa in the, in the Blake Snell deal. I mean, he's, he's right in that, uh, Ian Anderson drew waters ranking tier, you know, but uh, out of all of those guys, he's like the main one of those guys. So there's a possibility that the way that trades have gone this off season and the way that players are being valued this off season, that you could get away with a trade package. That's not going to be absolutely backbreaking, but for a guy like Ramirez, Cleveland knows that they could put Atlanta over a barrel. If they if they really wanted to, because that is a an amazing player at a position of need on an affordable contract, you shoot your shot and you hope you get what you want. If nothing else, you fall a little short, you could still get a, a lot of amazing players. So they also uh, have no reason to trade Ramirez because even with all the money they've shed right now, at worst they're third in in a very winnable division with great pitching still. And, and if and if there's that any, pitching that they have is always going to keep them in the hunt in that division. And if there is any chance of expanded playoffs being traded for a DH, I know that there's some some talks going on between the union and the league about how they're going to do that. Me personally, I still think the DH comes, and I think it does eventually get traded for expanded playoffs, even though the players' union has been adamant that they don't want to do that. If you are a Cleveland and you are talking about, you know, you're third in your division, you're behind the White Sox, you're behind the Twins, you're certainly ahead of the Royals and the Tigers. So there is a possibility that you could slide into the back end of the playoffs. And that's without Francisco Lindor, because you're right, they've got Bieber, they've got Plesak, they've still got really, really good pitching. So you're right, they don't have to trade him. Or they could trade him at the trade deadline or next offseason, and they could still get a King's Ransom for him. So just comes back to relative to value, 
if and th- this is going to probably infuriate some people, so I want to make sure that I explain this properly. Austin Riley, relative to the value of his contract, will be more valuable than Jose Ramirez will next year because Jose Ramirez is making $9 million in 2021. Austin Riley is going to make the league minimum, which is, what, $562,000? So Jose Ramirez is paying, being paid 16 times, approximately, what Austin Riley is being paid. He will not be 16 times as valuable as Austin Riley. So re- relative, to, relative to value of contract, is he going to have a better season? Well, of course he is. But I'm just not going to say that. Until there are other yeah. deals out now, there. We, we, yeah, there, there are other we gotta, deals out we there. we got to end the show soon. But before we do, and this will be our final one, um, offseason, we're quickly getting into spring training. You mentioned we got about two and a half weeks till pitchers and catchers really get back reported and everything. Um, there's still some names out there. We talked about Nelson Cruz. We talked about Marcelo Zuna. Uh, I'm just going to take my shot. In the, my We did this at the end of the season. I think the guys that I predict, projected and predicted are, are actually still on the board. Uh, I don't know... Uh, if you have any ideas or if you want to take a shot on, on what you think eventually happens, but I'll take a shot at what I would, what I'm going to say is what happens. Now, again, this is no sources. This is just me taking a shot on fits for philosophy, cost, and, and what have you. Uh, I think the easiest fit, the easiest thing to project is Justin Turner. Braves have a whole third base. I don't think Aust- I don't think they want to roll with Austin Riley without any competition. Uh, it's not like Austin can't play left field anyway. We're not going to have Ender starting in left field. Um, so I would project Justin Turner. It's a guy that has wanted a four-year deal. No one is offering a four-year deal. Um, L.A. is still in play for him. Obviously, the Dodgers are still in play. Uh, but I think the Braves could go. The, he is your perfect Alex Anthopoulos, one-year, 18 to $20 million, two-year, 36 to $38 million guy. Justin Turner is an outstanding offensive player, has a fantastic eye at the plate. OBPs are always really high, hits the ball pretty hard. Not a great defender anymore, but better than Austin Riley. Uh, would be a market upgrade, would, got, would be a guy that would fit in the top third in your order, would help Freddie Freeman out as well. That's one guy. Uh, outfield, this is where things would get tricky. I would like to see them because I'm thinking that you're going to have to get guys that aren't in Tier 1. I don't think that the Braves are going to get Tier 1 guys. I just They're not going to offer the years that it would take to get those guys, and they're not going to offer the trade packages that it would take to get those guys because, quite frankly, their farm system right now, I don't know if they could take the hit and... and, and be okay. If you had to trade Drew Waters or Michael Harris, uh, you're going to drop a lot as far as your ranking for your prospects. There's there's not a lot of top 100 guys right now. Langoliers will probably be in there. Contreras will probably be in there. Um, maybe Muller. He's, he's kind of fringe on the top 100. Um, but right now, Drew is the only definitive. Drew Langoliers are the only definitive top 100s. Contreras might be, he might get up to as high as about 88 maybe. But that's probably the only three. Uh, it's a marked downturn from where it was a season or two ago when we had Ian Anderson and Christian Pache and Ozzy was was still relatively close to being in there and, and Bryce Wilson and, and had all those guys. Um, I think I think Teoscar Hernandez would be a name that I would really watch out for. Uh, now that Toronto signed Marcus Simeon, who's probably going to play second base for them, that's going to push Kevin Biggio to the outfield. Now they might try to trade Kevin for starting pitching um, or they could trade Teoscar Hernandez. Now if you did that, what would you be giving up? Uh, probably start with Kyle Wright, and, and you probably include some more pitchers on top of that. But they definitely need starting pitching. Uh, I would look for something like that. And I'm not sure that Teoscar would be the guy. I feel pretty confident that Turner is probably probably a pretty key target for Atlanta right now. Uh, and then I would look towards some platoon people in the outfield. As much as we don't want to see a platoon, platoons are very effective, especially they're cost-effective. Jock Peterson is still out there. You could always get... 
Uh, you could always end up getting Turner and Jock Peterson and pairing, uh, platooning Jock in left field with Austin Riley. And that would be a pretty effective platoon if Riley takes any steps forward. I do like the Turner addition. I think you're right that he would kind of fit right in the Alex Anthopoulos special, you know, one, one at 18 or two and 32 or whatever. Nobody, nobody is going to give Justin Turner a four-year deal. Not even, not even the Dodgers. And he's been there forever. I keep coming back to Anthony Santander from the Orioles. I know he's not a perfect player. I know he has trouble staying healthy, but I also know that he is very affordable and uh, he's actually a pretty decent outfielder. You know, that Alex really prioritizes defense. Um, and the Orioles, <clears throat> everything that you hear about them right now, I know that there was a link with the, the Braves and Trey Mancini, but, you know, he, just coming back from colon cancer, uh, I think that he's a really important figure in Baltimore right now. And even even for somebody like Mancini, who's less making less than $5 million, and Santander, who's making less than $3 million, Baltimore was attempting to defer some of the payments on those guys. So they're obviously hard up for cash. They're they're in the middle of a rebuild and best case scenario, they finish fourth next year. And, and that's even probably a long shot. They know it's going to be a long time before they can crawl out of the cellar. So somebody who is on an affordable contract like Santander, who's really got some great power in the bat. And like I said, he's a um, pretty good defender. I think that that would fit the MO for Alex. You do have a third baseman in Riley. He's imperfect, but you know, if you get, a Santander and you get like a Jock Peterson, or even if you bring back like an Adam Duvall type, you can kind of mix and match. You can, you can play matchups a little bit. And, uh, and hopefully, like you said, there, nobody loves platoons, but this is still a really, really good team. It's, it's hard, you know, wanting to sign this guy and that guy, but a lot of the big pieces from last year are still around. There wasn't the need to make wholesale changes to this team. I know that the want was there. Yeah, people want Springer. People want Michael Brantley. People want Real Muto or whatever. People love big names. But it's important to remember that this team still has the reigning MVP, and Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Max Freed, Mike Soroka is coming back. There's still a lot to like about this team. So one or two moves, they don't even have to necessarily be big moves, will be enough to get the Braves back in the playoffs and they were a lot hungrier in 2020 or 20 than they were in 2019. So I think that um, there's still a good chance that 2021 is a really, really good year for this baseball team. You got to do something about the bench. I will say that the bench is yeah, right yeah. now. The Braves are not better than they were at the end of 2020. And I think that that's why a lot of people are upset, but there's still plenty of time. There's still plenty of names on the board to change that. The pitching is without a doubt, light years better starting pitching wise bullpen, maybe a half step back, but really Melanson and green weren't, weren't, going to give you, you know, they weren't going to give you stuff that you couldn't get from somebody else. And having Waskar, like having matriculation from some of your starters into the bullpen, that's that's going to help that out as well. Uh, another year for Waskar and Noah, whoever of Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson ends up in the bullpen for this season with Drew Smiley in the rotation, that's going to help you out there as well. Will Smith having a full off season of workouts, that's going to help him out too. There's, there's still things to be done there. It's just about... They got to fix the bench, and it's more about people wanting to see the Braves take a step forward after getting one, getting two innings away from a World Series that I really, truly believe they would have won. Uh, yeah, it sucks, but there's still there's still off season to go, so I'm not going to freak out yet. We'll see how the rest of this turns out, but for now, we really got to go. We've spent a lot of time on this. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the extra long episode since it has been a little while. Uh, trying to ramp up ourselves and figure out what we're going to do for this season. 
Really excited, though, to take that route with you. Uh, just remember, don't freak out unless you have to. Don't raise your own blood pressure right now, man. If you're hearing 45,000 rumors, chances are of all 45,000 of them are probably wrong. Just chill out until you see what happens. Take it as it comes. Just understand that the Braves are still the most well-rounded team in the division. At absolute worst, they're the third best team in the National League right now. And those one and two are going to be beating the crap out of each other for 19 games apiece during the regular season. So we'll see what happens when the season rolls around. We'll see what happens with the Atlanta Braves. And we'll see what happens in the NL East. But for now, we're going to go ahead and call it quits for the day. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We've had a lot of fun here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you for being